Welcome to the Impact Podcast. I'm John Pryor. We're very pleased to bring you the first of what should be many podcasts, where we'll be exploring the foundational trends that we've identified and we believe will have profound impact on software companies. Just recently, in podcast number 29, we had one of our founding partners, Justin Lafayette, take us through each of these trends. Today, we'll be exploring security first. Security first affects development, technology, human resources, culture, marketing, hiring, as well as the C-suite. It crosses into privacy, trust, and more. It's not something that should be simplified, but, but let's try this. Security first is more than just building a bigger security wall. Why? Because with a bigger wall, the hackers could just build a bigger ladder. I hope that's got your attention. Our own Ben Wild sits with one of our newest Impact Team members, Evgeny Velas, and I really think you'll enjoy this. So, Yevgeny, let's start with the basics. When you think about security in the context of a software company, what does that mean to you? Yeah, so people think about security in different ways. Um, some people see it as a compliance issue. Others see it as, an, as a component of IT. Um, I think it, what it's really about is making sure that your software works in all conditions and that it can handle all scenarios that can occur in the real world. Now, before you got into the real world yourself, you uh, did your PhD in computer science focusing on cryptography. Uh, and since then, you worked in a number of different roles in security and software engineering for startups and big companies alike. And you've also provided security consulting to a number of other firms. So what is it about the security field that motivates you? Yeah, so uh, it's, it's really the same reason that I got into cryptography and into you know, graduate school in computer science uh, to begin with. I, I like to understand how things work all the way down. And I feel like you know, any, any software or any, any organization, anything really that doesn't, doesn't have proper security, it, you really don't understand under which assumptions you're operating. You're making some implicit assumptions, but you don't really know what they are. And so the reason, the reason I, am, I like this field is because you know, when you nail it down, when you talk about the threats, the mitigations, you know, how you reduce the, the security of your, let's say, code to certain well-known components, it actually helps you understand in what world you're, you're operating. And so once you do that, it's, it's really the, kind of the first building block. And then once you do that, you can start doing the interesting stuff, which is you know, building AI, building you know, distributed infrastructures. But you really understand well what's happening underneath. That makes sense. So let's jump into talking about security first. When you think about and talk about security first in the context of a software company, what do you specifically mean? So security first is about embedding the, the security decision-making and the privacy decision-making in every aspect of your organization. It's not about any particular solution that you buy. You know, it's not about deploying a firewall. Uh, it's not even about doing a penetration test once in a while. It has to be part of the decision-making all the way from the top down because it impacts every aspect of your organization. Okay, can you give us some examples of those impacts? Perhaps talk us through how you see security first changing a software company. Is this just about the technology or does it go further than that? 
So let's let's go a bit in a in a little bit more detail. Uh, if you break if you segment your organization by uh, you know the culture, the business strategy, the technology, and the marketing and promotion, each of these can be security first if you do the, if you do the appropriate things, right? Uh, just as an example, in the culture component, you know, if, if security is part of board discussions, if the board and the CEOs and the CTO are all aware of the security aspects of the company, what still needs to be done, what are the potential implications, what's the threat model, that's great. If you have security training for your employees, that's fantastic. Um, if you hire you know, security experts to be your engineers, you don't have to do that, but if you have some of these people, they'll educate the rest of your team to write more secure code. Deploying firewalls is important. Doing penetration testing is important. Those are just components of the entire story. You know, when you talk about business strategy, if you're doing security right, you can emphasize it. Uh, you can set your policies in such a way that you, you know exactly what data you're collecting, you know where it's stored, you know what kind of guarantees you can give to the customers, and that flows into marketing and sales, which can capitalize on that. They can present you know, sales uh, marketing collateral that emphasizes your stance on privacy and the, the security guarantees that back it, some customers won't care, some will, and those are the customers that you're going to win over from your competitors. So in many of our discussions around the office and with portfolio companies, Apple keeps on coming up as a really good go-to example of an organization that's taken a strong position on security and now it's doing the same around privacy. Can you talk us through why you think that's a really good example and why that's significant? What Apple is, is doing is that they're moving to put privacy first when they talk about their new products, when, about their new operating systems. If you go to, your, to their website, they say explicitly, we build privacy into everything we do. I mean, they've always been seen as a, as a security leader. iPhone is typically seen as more secu secure than Android. Um, you know, OS X is seen more, is more secure than Windows. But now they're really going forward with the privacy aspect of it. Tim Cook, when he announced the last version of the iOS, he actually talked explicitly about differential privacy and Apple not being able to see your data. That, that's, you know, that's a big deal for, for the Apple event. Every second there counts, and they spent quite a bit of time talking about it. If we go back to the technology aspects of this again, as a cryptographer, talk to me about the role of cryptography in helping create more secure software. I'm not promoting my field here or anything like that, but cryptography is one of the components of security that with withstood the test of time better than other pieces. You know, we, we typically don't hear about a surprise you know, break of a cryptographic algorithm that was totally unexpected and, and now everything is, you know, everything is breaking down. Well, let me stop you there for a sec though because yeah. that happened last year when RSA stuff came out, right? So it was discovered that um, the NSA had been manipulating the math. Yeah. But that's a, that's a specific product, right? So, there, so yeah, there's the, the pseudorandom generator that was um, 
that was used in a few products and it, it, it was backdoored. It was known for a while that it can be backdoored, but nobody really kind of looked at it in too much details until, you know, until all the, the NSA discussions started happening. But other things that are you know, commonly used, like AES, which is the standard symmetric encryption algorithm, uh, even RSA-based public encryption, you know, all these things, they've been around for decades. And they're still good. Even DES, which was, which was the main encryption algorithm in the 90s, and at some point was considered insecure, it was only considered insecure because the keys were too short. But the algorithm itself actually withstands attacks pretty well. Right? So what that means is you really have to brute force it. There's nothing too clever you can do about it except trying all the possible keys. So, but, but going back to your question, Cryptography is definitely not all of security. You can have a great cryptographic algorithm that's implemented incorrectly and is completely useless. And we see it all the time. In the past few years, we saw many examples of this with OpenSSL, you know, with Heartbleed. That's a famous example of a bug in the implementation of a, a popular encryption protocol that makes it completely insecure. Um, it's not just the implementation. It's also how the technology is used, right? If, if let's say, I have a great encryption software in place, all my infrastructure is fully secure, but then my employees go and plug in a USB drive that they found in the parking lot into their work laptops, the, you know, all, all bets are off. Same, as, same with uploading your data to Dropbox. There's this whole concept of, Shadow IT, which is um, uh, you know employees of an organization using third-party services with, without authorization to share data. Right? Dropbox is one, is one common example. That's that's an out-of-band kind of channel, and it allows your business to be compromised even if everything else is implemented perfectly. So the culture is a very important component. So yeah. let's just go back a step. So we talked about. Um, why we think security is an enabler. You talked about why it's going to start from the top down, but give me a couple of practical examples of how, how security thinking might make itself, make its way into a, a product discussion or a product meeting. Like how does this, how does the rubber meet the road with this security first thinking? Yeah. So in technology, it's, it's the more obvious things. Well, some things are more obvious, some less, uh, but, that's, that's kind of, I think people kind of know a few things they need to do to, to do technology, right, from a security perspective. It, it's interesting to talk about it from a product and sales perspective. Just as an example, on the product side, when a new product is being developed or when a new feature is being decided on, a question should come up, what kind of data we're collecting? what are we going to do with it? Are we collecting too much data? Or could we, you know, could we collect less and then publicly say it? We're not collecting anything but this required information that's actually not that much. Um, on the sales side, you know, when you're creating a pitch deck or when you're approaching a customer, have you discussed the security component. Do you have everything covered? Do you have an, an expert on staff that can answer questions in case the customer wants to do a deep dive? 
So talk to me about that, that idea of collecting less data because, you know, we live in a world uh, where, you know, big data is something that every company is pursuing. We certainly, from an, you know, as an investment fund, have been the last you know, six or eight years been investing in companies that are um, collecting a lot of data, great, you know, developing insights. So how do you see those two things coming together? Is it really an either-or situation or can you potentially... Uh, both collect significant amounts of data, including data that you're not necessarily sure how you're going to use uh, today and still protect privacy and security? So it's definitely not an either or. I think you do have to compromise a little bit. Um, you, you shouldn't collect data that you will never use. But, you know, it doesn't mean you can't collect data that you think might be useful in the future but you don't use today. The key is that you have to handle it the right way. It's an asset that the user is transferring to you. And so you have to be aware of how you're protecting it and what are the potential threats and implications of something going wrong. And then from the privacy perspective, whenever you can, try to provide privacy guarantees. If you can do an end-to-end -end encryption, that's great. If you actually need to look at the content, try to decide if you can an anonymize the data with something like differential privacy. If you really need the user's detailed data and you can't anonymize it, you can't encrypt it, you actually need the raw data as is, try to provide options for the customer to control what happens with that data after they've given it to you. Give them the option to delete it if they don't want you to have it anymore. And you may be required to do that anyway going forward because of regulation. But if you start with, with this today, you actually have a potential to differentiate yourself and to build trust with the customer. So here's a problem I have, which is I'm not really a math geek. I was made to do it at university. Yeah. It doesn't come naturally to me. So as soon as I start reading about things like differential privacy or homomorphic encryption and things, there's what I, what I notice is there's a lot of debate and you actually have to have a nuanced understanding of the math to know whether this stuff is working or not. So if I'm a CEO or a founder and I'm sitting here and I'm going, okay, what do I do? Uh, you know, which of these approaches do I choose? How do you do that? How do you get help? How do you even hire someone? How do you identify someone to hire that actually understands this stuff? Because as you said, these decisions are quite foundational. If we make the right decisions now, it's going to save us a lot of time and bother later. But how do I, how do I make the right decisions? Yeah, so, so that's a very good question. And it's, it's actually very hard to make those decisions. And I would say... I'll talk about hiring in a second, but the easiest thing you can do, and that's, you know, that's something that you can do today, but you, you couldn't have done a year or two in, ago, is actually look at what the industry leaders are doing. Right? So you see Apple adopting differential privacy. They do have the resources to analyze it and to see if it has any meat behind it. And it does. Um, you, know, you see Facebook adopting end-to-end -end encryption. Same, the same concept applies. But going forward, I mean, if you're really looking at adopting some of these technologies and processes and you want to see if, you know, these, these additional things that you're going to be working on are actually going to get you what you need, um, you need to hire the right people. And you know, typically you want people that are passionate about security, that, you know, they talk about it like it's, it really matters to them in their lives. They've They've spent a significant amount of time doing these things, 
when they could have been making more money somewhere else. Um, I mean, you know, you can look for things like uh, certification, but those, those are really a bit superficial and they don't always indicate that the person is, is actually passionate about the area. So, so I would really focus on finding the people who, who will be constantly talking to you about security and that actually apply it in their own personal lives, trying to convert all of their friends and are going to be converting all of your employees. So, that, I mean, that, that sort of person is in demand and, and, and rare. So, so let's say we, we don't have a experienced, you know, security professional and enthusiast. So what are some attributes that you would look for in, say, um, uh, a software engineer or, or, or a manager that you think would predispose them to being able to really dive into uh, security as a field on behalf of the company? Yeah. Um, so security is really about the worst case scenario, which means in order to understand security of a system well, you have to understand entirely the, everything that's happening in that system and all the corner cases, not just the things that are the main features and the main kind of interesting components, but you really have to know every detail about it. And when you work in a software engineering environment, you can see some engineers that have this kind of mindset. They know every single detail of the system. They know where it can go wrong. And they can answer questions very quickly as soon as any issue comes up. Uh, the same goes for managers. Managers that have a very detailed understanding of various components and the various roadmap items and what are the challenges, you know, what, what's going to be blocking them. Those are the people that have the most potential to make the right security decisions. You just have to incentivize them properly and you have to make sure that they, they know that it's a high priority. Thanks for listening. If you found this of value, please go to iTunes and give us a rating or comment. We read them all and what you do here will help others find this podcast as well. And for that, we thank you. I'm John Pryor. Thanks for listening to the Impact Podcast.